Hey y'all, welcome to the Springs. My name is Garrison Price and I get to serve here with the student ministry and young adult ministry. It's a, uh, a privilege of mine to be here and be able to teach the Word of God. I'm going to start us off with prayer and then we'll uh, jump right into the teaching today, all right? Lord, we thank you so much for this time. We thank you, God, for the opportunity it is to just open your Word, to teach from it, to learn from it, that it is profitable for a proof, correction, teaching, Lord, and training up in righteousness. May you train us up through your spirit today, from your word, Lord. Father, we thank you for the opportunity it is to meet both online and in person right now in the midst of the pandemic. Father, we thank you for the technology, all the um, people that are sacrificing, Lord, to help make all of this work, Lord, on a weekly basis. And so we thank you, Lord, um, for the opportunity it is to just be here and be with one another. Lord, we love you. Thank for you. We're thankful for you. And uh, Lord, it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, so hey, I, about two and a half years ago, all right, I was working up in Dallas, and uh, I remember a job was presented to me. It was over a two, almost, yeah, almost three years ago now, which is crazy. And I remember a job opportunity was presented to me, and it was about this church down in New Braunfels, Texas. Remember, I was in Dallas, okay, and I didn't know anything about New Braunfels. I couldn't tell you where it was on a map. I couldn't tell you a thing about the town other than I knew that Schlitterbahn was here. That's right. That's the only thing I knew about New Braunfels is, don't they have a really big water park? That is pretty much all I knew. So first interview for a position down in New Braunfels is with a guy named John Omquist, all right? And I remember meeting with him, talking with him, I was like, this guy is a nerd, all right? No, I'm just kidding. Love John. But I remember first interview was with John. Second interview was on the phone and FaceTime with trustees, with Robert and Cole and John. And then I remember they brought me down for my first in-person interview. My first in-person interview was on a Wednesday. I literally drove down on Wednesday morning. I spent the day with John. We talked about the job. We showed, he showed me New Braunfels. And that night, I actually got to teach students. That night, picture, picture this with me, okay? I'm a new guy that is interviewing for a job. There were two other guys being interviewed as well for the job, okay? So this is my week. I get the opportunity to be with the students at Elevate. At this time, we met at a faithful family's house, the Post. We love them to death. Love the Post family, all right? And we're at the Post family's, their, their house. We're in their living room. I'm sitting on the fireplace, okay, at their old house, and I remember there's about 15 to 20 kids sitting and just piled up with each other in chairs and couches all in front of me. Behind them are leaders and then John, okay? John sitting in the back. Remember, I am in my first in-person interviews. I have not gotten this job, all right? So I come in and I'm feeling confident. I'm the guy, I'm coming in from Dallas. I think I have it all figured out, all right? And I feel prepared. You know, John's like, hey man, don't worry about it. Like we're walking in and he goes, don't worry about it, man. Zero pressure. Just be you and enjoy. And I'm like, hey, I got it. All right. Do you know who I am? No. So I remember going in and I remember teaching that day uh, at Elevate that night. And I remember talking specifically. I'll never forget this. All right. Teaching specifically on repetition in the word of God. Basically meaning, hey, when God repeats himself or the, the, the authors of different books in the Bible, when they repeat themselves, you need to pay attention. Similar to when parents repeat themselves, okay, to their kids of giving them advice or helping them out. For instance, um, hey, keep your elbows off the table. Don't chew with your mouth closed. Please shut the door behind you. 
pick either outside or inside, not in between, all right? Those types of things. So I was just kind of getting help from everyone out. Hey, what, what do your parents tell you all the time that you just, you're like, oh my gosh, I get it. I then share my personal experience that my dad would say, I would always leave my shoes by, by the front door, and I would say, and he would tell me every time, please pick up your shoes. Pick up your shoes, take them five steps to your closet, right? Move your shoes, pick up your shoes. And I kept saying that. I would go back to the word, and then I went back. Just like my dad said, pick up your shoes, pick up your sh. And right then, I realized that I said another word that begins with S-H, all right? And the whole place just sits in silence. Like, you could have heard a pin drop. And I'm just sitting there, and I see the leaders in the background just like, oh, I just can't believe I said it. And then I literally just lose it laughing. The whole room erupts with laughter. All the kids are laughing. The leaders are laughing. And I'm like, oh my gosh, there's no way I get this job. And John's in the back, you got the job, right? Like hilarious, classic moment, all right? Not my best moment at all. Not proud of it. Ask forgiveness. I said, kids, we're not, we don't cuss, all right? We don't talk like that. It just slipped. Honest mistake. And man, I'm telling you, people laughed. It was hilarious. And it's kind of funny that I'm here now, so clearly we can tell what kind of leader John is that he allowed me to, no, I'm just kidding, but uh, I got the job, so all is good, but man, what an experience, but I remember thinking about that moment and thinking about my attitude and my heart kind of going into that, and it really was one of, hey, I, I think I have something to offer here. It was one of, man, I hope they like me. I think, I hope that what I have to offer them, they will like me. Obviously, with an interview, you want to be liked. You want to do things to make them happy so that they will call you back. I remember that feeling was just generated me and generated in me most of that day was just kind of putting my best foot forward and my best face on so that y'all would really like me. And it really was an insincere image that I was trying to create. It really was at times just fear of man, meaning I was just mindful of what y'all thought of me and what John thought of me. Would I get the job? And so I thought I had these answers and this false sense of security that I was trying to put on myself and around myself so that I could make people happy or impress. You see, I feared what man thought of me during that day. Obviously, jokes aside, and yes, some of it was fun, some of it was genuine, like most of it was genuine that whole day. I'm not saying I lived out of that all day long, but there were incentives in my heart, there were times in my heart where, or my, yeah, during that time for me, where that was clear, clearly evident. And so, today I'm going to talk about that fear of man in a way, and also the fear of God, and the difference between that. When I feared God, there was confidence, there was calmness, there was peace. When I feared man in that instance, right, I was rushing, I was probably trying to be someone I wasn't, I was making, you know, I was saying things or doing things, or, and I was living in a false reality, in a false identity of that's not who I am. And so we're going to talk about a little bit about that fear of God and fear of man. You see, fear of God and fear of man are in, incompatible. They're incompatible. What do I mean by that? Fear of God and fear of man don't mix. It's like oil and water. Fear of God and fear of man don't 
mix. You see, I think we all have a problem with this. Let me explain. So when I say fear of God, it literally just means like, God, I want to honor you. God, I acknowledge you are God over my life. You are sovereign. I respect that. I am fearful knowing you are all-powerful and all-loving and all-knowing. When I live out of a fear of God, it says in Proverbs chapter 1 that the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. Fear of man, what do I mean by that? Fear of man is literally just, I'm fearful what you think of me. I'm fearful of what you want me to be. I'm fear, or I live in the fear or the constant tension of making you happy and I want to please you at all times. That is fear of man. You see the difference? Like I said, fear of God and fear of man are incompatible. They just don't mix. They don't go together. And so we're going to talk a little bit about that. I think we all struggle with this. I think this is a, um, an epidemic across mankind. When we fear man, when we are insecure, when we are living out of our insecurities, it changes the way we live our life. It changes what we drive because we are always mindful of we got to keep up with everybody because I want you to make sure that I have that image that, uh, man, I'm, I'm doing the right thing or I'm living the way that you think I should. It changes the way we drive or what we drive. It changes the people we date. It changes the way, the, the way I parent. It changes the clothes that I wear. Do you see? It is just an ongoing thing that is just always, it is a process that is always rolling. It's like the snowball effect, man. It just grows and grows and grows. And the more it does, the more insecure we get and the more you have to keep up. Man, it's exhausting. And so we're going to talk about that fear of God versus fear of man. But I do think it relates to every single one of us. And so I have the privilege today of opening up a new series. That new series is called Monarchy. It's the um, triumphs and tragedies of three kings. And today I get the opportunity to share about King Saul. And man, I'm excited. We have not been in the Old Testament in a while. I'm pumped. All right. And so get your Bibles ready. We're going to be in 1 Samuel chapter 15. Um, and then we'll go, but we'll backtrack a little bit of as well, but you can get your Bibles out and get ready to turn. I just ask you, stay with me. We're going to take some notes, and uh, we are going to dig into the Word today. And so, 1 Samuel chapter 15, now let me give you a little backstory on King Saul and why we're doing this. King Saul kind of has a bad rap, I believe, if you've heard of him. We know of him as uh, the guy that just really failed in a lot of ways as the king of Israel. You see, here's what Israel was. Israel, God's chosen people, okay, God's people, people of Israel. They had judges leading them. It was a council of men and women that were leading them and telling them, hey, you need to live this way. This is the direction we are going. All the other nations around Israel had kings or one individual over their kingdom. Israel, classic as the story goes, all right, just like us when we rebel against God, they see all the other people around them. They are insecure about their kingdom. Listen to that. I'm going to hear say that again. Israel, because of their insecurity in their own kingdom, because of what other influences outside were doing and their fear, they then say, make us like all these other nations. Give us a king. We deserve a king. Give us a king. We don't want judges anymore. There's a man named Samuel in this story. And Samuel's a prophet. Samuel's a faithful man of God, a servant of the Lord that God has used to speak to the people of Israel. And so Samuel goes, okay, have your wish. Present a king before me and I will anoint him king. So they 
look around, and they're looking around for who to pick, and they find Saul. He is head and shoulders above every man. He's a man of the tribe of Benjamin. He's the son of a guy named Kish. That's a tough name, all right? Sorry, Saul, that your dad's name is... I bet there were some funny jokes to go along with that. But Saul was the son of Kish, who also was a mighty warrior and a handsome man, it says in Scripture. So Saul comes from really good genetics. Saul is head and shoulders above every other man in the kingdom of Israel. Really good looking. From the human eye, that is the king. That's a leader. He's going to stand out. He's going to lead us. So they present... Saul. And Saul and Samuel, immediately Samuel knows, man, his heart breaks because he knows, like, man, this is against the Lord's will, but the Lord is going to allow it. And so the Lord allows this to happen. And what's amazing about this story and about Saul is that, uh, that the Lord really did bless Saul. He gave him every single opportunity to succeed. He anointed him king over his people. He anointed him as the first ever king. He changed his heart, and he gave his Holy Spirit to him. He gave it, the Spirit of the Lord was on Saul. His heart changed. And so Saul has every opportunity. He's been given every gift to succeed as a king. And so we're going to pick up in the story, and we're going to talk through that we're going to see Saul's triumphs. There really were great things to learn from King Saul and gifts that he had when he feared God. And then we're going to see, unfortunately, the other side of it, when he feared man and his tragedies that ultimately led to his demise. And so pick up with me. We are going to uh, read in 1 Samuel 15, chapter 15. Um, and, uh, and here we go, verse 1. We're going to jump in. Just read with me. We're going to read quite a bit. And Samuel said to Saul, The Lord sent me to anoint you king over his people Israel. Now therefore listen to the words of the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts. This is Samuel speaking to Saul. I have noted what uh, Amalek did to Israel in opposing them on the way when they came up out of Egypt. Look up, by the way, this whole scripture is going to point to the Amalekites. Look up Deuteronomy chapter 25 in your own time to learn more about what the Amalekites were. They were paganists. They were really, really evil. They did so much evil in the eyes of the Lord, and they're a huge enemy of the people of Israel and people of God, ultimately of God's as well because of the evil that they lived in, all right? So that's kind of the story behind Amalek. Now go and strike, strike Amalek and devote to destruction all that they have. Do not spare them, but kill both man and woman, child and infant, ox and sheep, camel and donkey. So Saul summoned the people and numbered them in Telim. That's, I'm gonna say it, all right? Some funny words in here. 200,000 men on foot, 10,000 men of Judah, Saul came to the city of Amalek and lay in wait in the valley. Then Saul said to the Kenites, Go, depart, go down from among the Amalekites, lest I destroy you with them. These were um, allies of Israel at this point. They were very nice to Israel uh, in their last encounter. And so he's saying, man, get away from here. We are about to destroy the Amalekites. I don't want to mix you up with them, so go protect yourself. For you showed kindness to all the people of Israel when they came up out of Egypt. So the Kenites departed from among the Amalekites, and Saul defeated the Amalekites. So he did as he told them. He was asked as far as defeating them. He defeated them from Havilah as far as Shur, which is east of Egypt. And he took Agag, the king of the Amalekites, alive and devoted to destruction all the people with the edge of the sword. 
But Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep and of the oxen and of the fattened calves and the lambs and all that was good. Remember that. And would not utterly destroy them. All that was despised and worthless, they devoted to destruction. Here we go. We're going to sit in these two verses right here. The word of the Lord came to Samuel after the Lord sees Saul do this. I regret that I have made Saul king, for he has turned back from following me and has not performed my commandments. He says right here in verse 11, I regret making Saul king. That word regret here just means lament. It means I'm brokenhearted. I am lamenting. I am grieving over Saul's sin. I am grieving over his disobedience. I am lamenting. It breaks my heart to see this. That is what he means by that. Anytime a follower of Jesus Christ, a disciple, and a man of God or a spiritual leader disobeys the Lord, it breaks his heart. It breaks the Lord's heart when he has given us everything we could possibly need and a literal voice of God saying, do this, and I will bless you, do this, obey my voice, and we disobey. It breaks his heart. Our sin breaks the Lord's heart. That's what that means here. He is lamenting over his decision. God knew what Saul would do. But we're going to focus on this verse right here. He says, listen to this. And I have made Saul king, for he has turned back from following me. Wait a minute. Does that mean Saul has followed him before? What? How did we get here? In my setup, I was explaining, man, Saul was given everything. He had great appearance. He was a warrior. Um, Man, he had the anointing of God. God moved and changed in his heart. He changed his heart. God gave Saul everything he could possibly have needed to lead the kingdom and the people of Israel. Where did it go wrong? And it says that he has turned from following me. So does that mean he followed him in the first place? Let's look back in chapter 10. So flip back, flip back with me. There we go. In chapter 10 of 1 Samuel. And we're going to be in verse 25. This is after he has proclaimed king before the people. Listen to this. Samuel told the people the rights and duties of the kingship, and he wrote them in a book and laid it up before the Lord. Then Samuel sent all the people away, each one to his own home. Saul also went to his home at Gibeah, and with him went men of valor, whose hearts God had touched. Not only had God changed hearts of Saul and his heart, but the men around him. He said, you will run with these guys. I've changed their hearts. But some worthless fellows said, imagine being called worthless fellows uh, by God or by, by scripture, man. But worthless fellows said, how can this man save us? You're talking about Saul? I know him. How is he the king? How can he save us? And they despised him and brought him no present. Here's what's cool. Here are Saul's triumphs, but he held his peace. You see, in this moment, God has just anointed him king of Israel. He has given him his kingdom. He says, okay, I know, that the, I know that mankind brought before me this king. I know that this was the people's king, but I'm still, I still am so faithful to my people. I'm going to change this man's heart. I'm going to give him the keys to the kingdom. 
And I'm going to allow him to have everything he needs to do it and to lead and steward it well. And so in this moment, at least in this moment, Saul is at peace. He is fearing God, saying, thank you, God. Man, I want to do this well. I want to lead well. He's got men around him that are holding him accountable, the men of valor around him. These men are mocking him in his ears. How can this dude save us? They didn't bring a present. They despised him. Notice, he didn't get caught up. The fact that they didn't like him. Saul's triumph was that, man, he didn't, he was content in his anointing as man and as king. He held his peace. There are some triumphs in his story, man. His triumph was that he held his peace, and in this moment at least, he feared God. Because he didn't fear man, he was able to hold his peace in that moment. Let's keep looking. Another triumph. So Saul's triumph, number one, was he was content in his anointing as king. Number two, okay, we're going to look in 1 Samuel chapter 11. There's this king named Nahash, the Ammonite king, who is, again, uh, man, just bashing the people of Israel. And so all these people, these people of Jabesh, it's just a tribe, it's a, it's a, it's a group of people in the tribe of Israel as a whole, right? They're hiding, they're terrified of this king, Nahash. They're terrified, they're hiding in their houses. Saul comes out from the oxen. He comes out from this field and he's like, why do I hear all this crying? In verse five, verse six, why do I hear all this crying? Who are these people? Why are they weeping? And he goes, oh, they're weeping because they're being bashed by this, they're afraid, they're so fearful. And And he literally gets yoke of oxen, which just means two. There's these two oxen that are walking together. He gets these oxen. He cuts them up into pieces. He sends them out throughout the camp of Israel and goes, if any of you do not come out of your tents to lead with me, to go and put to destruction this king and go to war with me and with Samuel and with the Lord, let this be done to you as well, meaning the oxen. He was bold, man. He was courageous. He put his foot down. He's like, I will not allow us to hide and whimper when the Lord is on our side and when this little king, Nahash, is talking trash about us. You see, Saul was bold and courageous. And then lastly, the king of Israel was always, their purpose, every king's purpose, the way that the king was, was to keep the people united, the people of Israel At the end of this chapter, after they were given victory because of Saul's courage, because he feared God, and through that fear of God, courage came about him, boldness came about him, and he led through that and brought victory to the people of Israel. uh, Verse 12 in chapter 11 says, Then the people said to Samuel, Who is it that said, Shall Saul reign over us? Bring those men that we may put them to death. But Saul said, This is Saul, not Samuel. Not a man shall be put to death this day, for today the Lord has worked salvation in Israel. Let's go, Saul. Then Samuel said to the people, come, let us go to Gilgal and there renew the kingdom. So all the people went to Gilgal and there they made Saul king before the Lord in Gilgal. There they sacrificed peace offerings before the Lord and there Saul and all the men of Israel rejoiced greatly. When Saul feared God in this moment, 
He was content in his anointing as king. He led in boldness and courage in battle. When he was fearing God, there was restoration in the camp. There was renewal and rejoicing in the people of Israel. Let me say this. When men and women who follow Jesus Christ, when men and women who love the Lord and call on him as their Lord and Savior, fear him before anything else and fear God alone, when leaders fear God, there's rejoicing, renewal, restoration in the land. That's it. Pretty straightforward. Saul's triumphs came from at that moment of fearing, fearing God, and we see his triumphs through his courage, his boldness, his security, and his anointing as king. And then lastly, he helped unite the people of Israel. You see, that courage comes to mind, and, and that's, that's possible when any time we live in the fear of God, for any of us as followers of Jesus Christ, it makes me think of my friend Kim Francis, member at the Springs. Kim comes to Kelly Boyd, another faithful woman of the Springs, loved both of them dearly. Kelly Boyd at the time led Big Serve, which we all know of, of us going out in the community and serving at different times of the year, and service projects. And Kelly was leading that at the time, and Kim goes, man, I would love to help. We just moved into town. I have a heart for this. I want to help you. Kelly literally goes, come on, please help me. And then also Kelly's like, man, if you want to take more of this, go for it. Kim's heart for the Lord, her fear of God, and heart for serving the community, then she takes it to the next level of saying, okay, now I notice that there are over 60 churches in New Braunfels, and we are, they're kind of all doing their own thing. I think it'd be amazing. What if the Lord would have us unite these churches together and their pastors together? So two and a half years ago, Big Serve became a Big Serve event with different churches in the community. It started out small. Different pastors were in those meeting rooms. And then December of 2018, I'll never forget this, there was a luncheon where they asked uh, Kim was going to be there, John was going to be there, and a couple others. And they asked Kim, they said, Kim, you got it. You've got the vision for this. You lead this meeting. A woman, probably I think the only one besides Alice here at McKenna, uh, was in the room of 20 to 25 different men. And Kim leads faithfully, says, man, what if? And here's the vision, and she shares her vision for Big Serve and for this thing called Unite New Braunfels. What if these churches came together and served together, and these pastors? And what has come out of that is now over 20 churches a part of this. What has come of that now is a monthly meeting of pastors. Hey, how can we serve the community? Where are we missing it? Where are areas for us to grow as a uh, united body of Christ? Let's go. Praise God. Thank you, Kim, for leading courageously and boldly because of your fear of God. I think on the other end, I think of my friend Andy Easley, another member at the Springs who I love dearly, and his family, his wife, Ariana, and their kids who I've gotten to know over the past few years. Andy, faithful guy, has a really hard week. In a weak moment, in a weak day, stops at the bar and has a little too much to drink, gets, ends up getting pulled over. And he has to then confess to his wife, about what happened that day. His wife, Ariana, graciously loves him and forgives him. And then they walk in repentance. The next day, I get a text, along with about 15 or 20 other men at the Springs, including John, including other trustees at the church, men of his community group, and he confesses what happens. 
not caring what people, he didn't fear man in that moment because if he did, he wouldn't have sent that text worrying about what we thought of him or our judgment of him. He said, I will fear God and God alone, that he will forsake my sin and forgive me of my sins. He's already forgiven me, and because of that, I'm secure in that, and I can confess and repent and walk in newness of life. While his wife helps start build trust back with him and love on him and encourage him, and then they end up bringing their kids in the room and talking with their kids about their dad's mistake and him leading in repentance and example. That is courage. That is fear of God. That encourages me. I pray it encourages our body of two faithful people, two small examples of people all across our body right now that are living courageously for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ because they fear God and not, not man in those moments. So good, man. And as we move forward, the Bible does this thing where it often will lead us to uh, where there's a lot of triumph and it gives us, hey, here's advice, here are stories of ways to improve, ways to grow in your faith, ways to encourage you. And then there's the other side. Hey, here are examples of where it can go wrong. First Samuel and the story of Saul is no different. So let's pick back up in chapter 15. Remember, we just learned about Saul's triumphs as king of Israel, triumphs as a man of God. And now, unfortunately, we read about his tragedies. And so jump back into scripture with me in chapter 15. Remember verses 1 through 9, just a um, as we move forward in Saul's tragedies, just a refresher back to the Amalekites. God tells Saul to uh, put to destruction all, everyone, livestock, everything, all belongings. Put it to destruction. Do not leave anything. And Saul puts to destruction what was worthless in man's eyes. But what he thought about, man, there's some wealth to hold on here. There's a king as a token of our victory. Look at who I got under my, who we got, who we conquered. To his men of Israel and saying, man, take your livestock, take these goods, the spoils of war, enjoy them. He disobeyed the very word of God. And it's tragic. And because of this, it says that the Lord lamented. He regretted, he breaks his heart that Saul would do this and so Saul's tragedies begins with his incomplete obedience his incomplete obedience he was given commandments to follow and he didn't complete them and then in verse 13 it's a heartbreaking verse where Samuel goes to Saul and Saul goes look Samuel look I did what you asked me to do I did what God told me to do I followed his commands and I obeyed incomplete obedience and because of it because he feared man more than God and feared man's words and what they would think if they were able to have the spoils of war or not because he feared that before the Lord it's a tragedy and he's starting to lose a grip he's starting to lose control and it's it's a slippery slope from there incomplete disobedience you see we are Saul church we're not Samuel in this story. We're definitely not the Lord in this story. We're not the people of Israel in this moment. Like, yes, there are characteristics of Israel in this time that are us. We are Saul. Anytime 
We have been given commandments from the Lord and ways to live and have life to the full, and we choose our own way. We choose partial obedience. We delay obedience for our sake. Incomplete obedience. And whatever comes to mind when you think about that, when you've been thinking about, man, the way we date, Man, incomplete obedience would be like, yeah, I'm going to disregard the whole, you know, don't put a stumbling block before a brother and, you know, boundaries. They're kind of a second guess. Like, that's just kind of a second topic we're not going to talk about, all right? And we just, we don't really have direction. But as long as I'm not going there, like, hey, you know, we're fine. Incomplete obedience. Partial obedience. Anytime that we have conflict and we just kind of sweep it under the rug and say, well, I'm a peacemaker, all right? Like, I just like to have peace in our house, and so I'm not going to say anything because I don't want to stir anything up in complete obedience. I could go on and on and on examples of my own life where I do this and make compromises in complete obedience. You see how we're saw here. Take heed lest you fall. Let this never be so of us let's keep going we gotta we gotta cruise back to verse 12 through 16 and samuel came to saul oh sorry and samuel rose early to meet saul in the morning and it was told samuel saul came to carmel and behold he set up a monument for himself keep going Samuel came to Saul, and Saul said to him, Blessed be you to the Lord. I have performed the commandment of the Lord. And Samuel said, What then is this bleeding of the sheep? Uh-oh, he hears the sheep he left. He didn't kill. Bleeding of the sheep in my ears and the lowing of the oxen that I hear. Saul said, They have brought them from the Amalekites. Or Saul says this, They have brought them from the Amalekites. For the people spared the best of the sheep and the oxen to sacrifice to the Lord your God. In the rest, we have devoted to destruction. Saul builds a monument for himself. And then, when he's confronted by Samuel, who knows what he's done, that he knows he didn't fully obey the voice of the Lord, he then says, oh, well, the people decided to do that. Second tragedy of Saul and his fear of man and just that completely proves he was so fearful of what man thought of him, he pushes blame. He pushes blame. He is insecure as man and as a king. His insecurities were so rampant at this time that he not only doesn't obey God because he was fear of what man would think, because he wanted to please people, He then says, he then builds a monument for himself to build his platform, instead build the kingdom of God in obedience. And he's insecure as a man and a king, and then he shifts blame and says, and he doesn't take ownership for his mistakes. Tragedy of Saul breaks my heart. Insecurity as a man and as a king. There is no room, there is no mixture possible. Fear of God and fear of man are incompatible. You cannot fear God and fear man at the same time. You either fear God in this moment and obey the voice of the Lord and repent maybe 
and obey what he says and take ownership for it and says, you're right, please forgive me. Man, I repent and I wanna change the way that I live my life. Repent or you fear man and you put the blame on somebody else, you don't take ownership for your sin and you have incomplete obedience and make excuses for it. And lastly, the last tragedy of Saul that we see in chapter 15 is his insincere repentance. Let me explain. Verse 24, we're all hoping, obviously, that Saul, man, okay, Saul, just, man, be faithful, fear God in this moment. Would you please, like, God, I'm just reading this. I'm like, Saul, come on, man, like, repent, ask forgiveness. So in verse 24, Saul says to Samuel, I have sinned, for I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord in your words, because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. So here he is confessing, and he's literally saying, man, because I feared the people and obeyed their voice and not the voice of the Lord, I have sinned. And we're all over here like, yes, yes, you did. So like, thank God, you're repenting, you're confessing. Then keep reading. Now, therefore, please pardon my sin and return with me that I may bow down before the Lord. And Samuel said to Paul, I will not return to you or with you, for you have rejected the word of the Lord, and the Lord has rejected you from being king over Israel. You want to know a piercing couple sentences to an insecure man? Tell him, no longer yours. Second, Samuel said to him, oh sorry, Samuel turns away to him, and Saul, from him, and Saul sees the skirt of his robe, and it tears. He's literally like, Samuel, please stay with me. Help me. I need you. You see, it's just a slippery slope, man. He's losing all control because he fears man. The Lord, and Samuel says to him, the Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you this day and has given it to a neighbor of yours who is better than you. (laughs) My gosh. An insecure man that fears man and is fearful of other people and what they think about him and the image that he presented. You see, Saul thought that the people wanted an image to follow. Saul thought that God just wanted this perfect image of him that that would be the perfect king when God just wanted a willing and humble heart and an an obedient heart to lead his people. The people just want an honest leader, one that's noble and courageous and that fears God and repents of sin. He missed it, and because of that, he loses the keys of the kingdom, and here's where we wrap up, and also the glory of Israel will not lie or have regret, for he is not, speaking glory of Israel, meaning God here, he is not a man that should have regret. Then he said, this is Saul, I have sinned, yet honor me now before the elders of my people and before Israel and return with me. I have sinned, but... Make sure that you honor me before people so they still, I don't lose their, you know, trust or that my image isn't marred by my sin. Verse 24 makes a lot more sense now. Insincere repentance. When we repent or confess of sin in our own lives and we worry about the outcome of what could possibly happen and we don't repent fully or don't confess fully of what actually happened or what's going on, whatever that may look like, we 
are acting as Saul. That God, know, God knows our hearts. Samuel knew in this moment what he had done. He knew his repentance wasn't real. When you are insecure, you have insincere repentance. When you're worried what people think about you, repentance is never sincere. You see, fear of God, fear of man, pretty straightforward. And so, fear of man was his downfall. We saw that Saul had every opportunity, has been given every gift to be a leader and to be the king of Israel. He was anointed by God. His heart was changed. He was given a prophet to help him with literally every decision, Samuel being there to help him and to guide him. And we saw some of the time that Saul uh, lived in the fear of man, he was able to uh, obey. And he was able to find courage and boldness and leadership. He was confident and content in his anointing in chapter 10. Remember that. And then we saw his other triumph of just his obedience and that he united the people of Israel through peace, through rejoicing and through victory in, in the Lord. And then we see Saul's tragedies. And the tragedy it really is for all of us in fear of man. When we are so caught up in what people think about us or the image we have to present to someone, the mask we have to wear to keep up with everybody, to make sure that, man, I'll do whatever it takes for you to like me, to please me, to appease you. We see incomplete obedience, insecurity as a man and as a king, including pushing blame on others, building a monument for himself. What monuments are we building for ourselves through our insecurity and insincere repentance? It is a tragic story of potential just gone wrong. And so what do we do now? So what now? If I am Saul, what now? Number one, repent of fear of man. Check your motives and check your heart. What decisions am I making today? How is my life dictated by my fear of what people think about me? The crippling anxiety of I wonder if this is okay with people around me. My everyday decisions that are decided by perception and other people's perception of me or how I want to project myself or the perfect image of myself that I want people to see. Repent. Every day that I've studied this week, it's just been a humbling reminder for me in my life of where I do this and where this is in my heart. Check motive and posture of heart, and then when you understand the Lord, and when you understand that fear of God is the beginning of understanding, security comes from that, church. There is nothing more attractive than a leader and a follower of Jesus Christ that is secure and fears God and doesn't fear man. Nothing more attractive than a secure disciple of Jesus Christ. Security being from the Lord himself and not man. When we fear God and not man, there is security. Who will we choose today? I wrap up with this story. Like I said, all right, I'm still here on this stage, so two and a half years ago, in that weak moment at the post house, all right, clearly uh, by God's grace and by y'all's grace as a church, I was able to get the job. 
and I've loved it, two and a half years. But I'll never forget this. My first day on the job was July 15th, 2018. July 15th, if you remember, was a Monday. All right, I don't know how, who else remembers that? You calendar people, that'd be crazy. But anyways, so July 15th was a Monday. I started the day before, technically at church on Sunday. Monday morning, I start. I hang out all day with John. We work. He shows me the office or uh, in the making of one, kind of in the old office, right? And that night is literally the first ever Monday night of our regen ministry, regeneration ministry, um, and it's a recovery ministry, a gospel-based recovery ministry. If you would like to be a part of that, or man, if you're struggling with, with sin or addictions of any kind, or just you can't get over whatever the Lord... Um, or you're wrestling through some of your past decisions, whatever, man, please join us, 6.30 on Monday nights. Still going on two years later. So I joined that ministry, and I'm going through it. I start it that night, July 15th, 2018, and it's the pilot group. And I'll never forget, over the next few weeks, I start to kind of meet some of the men that are going to be in my group. I'm the youngest guy there. We get in a circle. I look around the circle. They are literally all dads of students in my ministry. <laughs> and as I am called to... Uh, repent and share my sin and share why I'm at Regen, I'm literally like, this is who you hired, all right? Like, here's my sin. I'm a mess. And I remember that fear of man creeping in. Don't share all of it. They wouldn't have hired you if they knew. They won't trust you with their kids and their students if they knew your sin. Fear of man starting to do that, and man, insecurities of my leadership, insecurities that maybe I'm not the right fit, and it was leading into a bigger problem than I realized. I fear man, church. When I'm not in a healthy place, when I don't fear God, my natural tendency is to fear what you think about me, and it consumes me, and in that season of my life, from August or July till about October, it was real, until one night, Part of in region is step four is called inventory, where you literally work through inventory of your past sin, whether it's harms done to you, harms done to other people, resentments towards people, and then your sexual inventory, ways that you've made mistakes in that area of your life. And I remember leading young adults in that fear of man in that moment, just being consumed with it. That, it was a Tuesday night in October, I'll never forget. And that night, Cole Adams bangs on the door at about, Cole is a trustee here, one of my best friends, a mentor of mine. He was my region mentor. And he knocks on the door with two coffees in his hand. He goes, Jen, who's his wife, made us coffee. It's inventory time, baby. All right? And I remember being there after young adults. I'm wrapping up that night in the office. And we sit from 10 p.m., like 9.30 p.m. till 1 in the morning where I am in tears sharing my inventory of Will you ever trust me again? You don't know what I'm about to share with you from some of my past. I'm supposed to be a minister of the gospel. I'm supposed to be this great leader from Dallas that has it all together. You're going to learn I don't have it all together. And that fear of man was crippling. And as I start to share some of it, there's more freedom that comes from it. It was kind of weird. And as I share more and more of it, then call lovingly after every time I take a breath and stop and look at him expecting rebuke. Expecting judgmental eyes, he goes, free, saved in Christ, renewed in Christ, forgiven. I love you, bro. Keep going. And in that moment, I realized there was a greater king 
There was a king of kings and the Lord of lords that saved me through this king that is coming. Praise God for the people of Israel in 1 Samuel 15 that Saul is not the exemplary reason or person to look for in a king, but that Jesus is coming. And in that moment in the office in October of 2018 for me and my inventory, I was learning that man, that fear of man was so crippling and even speaking it out loud and hearing a brother in Christ saying, you've been forgiven. I'm reminding you of the gospel of Jesus Christ. This king that is coming to save Israel has saved you, Garrison. And because of that, you have a new life. Do not give in anymore. You don't have to live in that fear of what I think about you or what the church thinks about you. Fear God. And through that week and through that night, excuse me, I noticed the difference. And I saw right there the fine line between fear of God or fear of man in the beautiful transition because of the gospel of Jesus Christ that I can ultimately fear God and know that I'm renewed, I'm made new. Should I continue in that sin? No more. Walk in newness of life. Walk in freedom because of what Jesus has done for you. Fear God. Fear of God and fear of man are incompatible. What will we choose? Let me pray. Lord, I thank you for this time. I pray, Lord, that I was just able to faithfully teach your word, but God, would you reveal to me and how I in my own life and us at the Springs as a body and any other visitors or guests who are watching or tuning into this, Lord, would repent of our fear of man. Would you help us walk in freedom and newness of life because of Jesus? We thank you, Lord, for that truth. Lord, thank you for showing us on how we can grow as followers of Jesus and followers of you, Lord, that you love us, that we can fear you and not man, that there's freedom, that when we walk in that, Lord, would you help us do that better? Would you reveal to us where this is a problem in our lives? Would you help us repent of it, confess, confess, Lord, and walk in the other direction? Because of Jesus, that is possible. We love you, Lord. Amen. Hey, y'all. Thank y'all so much for joining us. Hope you have a great week of worship. All right? See ya.